This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everybody. This is Mike Reno from Loverboy, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. <laughs> Hey, Mike, I've got Chris on the line. Chris, Mike. Hey, Mike, how are you doing, man? Hey, Chris, I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's nice to talk to a hometown guy. <laughs> yeah? Cool. Yeah? Tell me more. Well, I live in D.C. right now, like Washington, D.C., but I, I've lived in Vancouver for a long, long time, like 25 years or so. Oh, cool. Well, that's great to see you. I'm great to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you too. Hey, um... So I see that you guys are re-releasing um, uh, the LP here, and I'm wondering, how does it feel to go back in time like that and kind of, I mean, you play these songs live all the time anyways, but, you know, you probably play the hits from these albums and the hits from those albums, but to actually go through them and, and remaster the record and go through all those memories, what was that like for you? You know what it is for us is we had a lot a lot of fun recording the first record. We were excited to get a record deal. We ended up working with, we didn't know at the time, some of the best people in the industry. Even the second engineer, the guy who goes for coffee and puts his tapes on, he now mixes and records ACDC albums. You know what I'm saying here? Yeah. So this was a group of people that rose up into the industry all at the same time because it was our first crack at it and it was their first crack at it and everybody's still at it. I mean, it's just crazy. And to watch it, we recorded that album on a shoestring budget and, and recorded from start to finish in five weeks. Wow. You know what I mean? Five wow. Weeks. Did you ever... Ma- that Little Mountain, right? That was at Little Mountain, yeah. Wow. And did you guys did you guys use Studio A or Studio B for it? Uh, we recorded... Let me think for a sec. Studio A. Oh, wow, in the big room. Yeah. Nice. And that's where we got the big sound. Everybody just set up and we just pounded away. That's great. <laughs> that's great. Did you ever... Yeah, no, that's fine. Did you ever imagine 40 years later you'd still be uh, relevant and still be releasing records and still be doing this for a living? No, to be honest with you, uh, it's Bruce, right? Yeah. To be honest with you, Bruce, we did think we, we just wanted to get to the end of the week and maybe get a case of beer. That's all we were hoping for. <laughs> That's like the most Canadian thing I've heard in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. And and you know what, it's the truth. You know, we never thought, you know, we we were hoping something good would happen, but we never thought it would be, you know, last 40 years. And I still, I heard the... A kid is that on the radio the other day when I was driving driving around and I cranked it up and it still sounds great it sounds like the first time I listened to it I just went oh my god it still sounds great and you know they play all our stuff all the time and we can't get away from it but we respect it and right. when we play live we play it just like the record because we know people want to hear it just like the record gotcha. oh you know I saw you guys live at the PNE. I can't remember what year it was cool and it was just you were just like kicking ass and taking names still and I was just like how are they how are they still doing that how is he still hitting those notes 
this seems crazy to me. There's but a lot of awesome. squeezing. There's a lot of squeezing of the gonads, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get, so, I get it done. And you know what? It's it's kind of one of those things. Um, yeah, when we recorded, we didn't do a lot of overdubs. We wanted it to sound just like it sounds when we record. You know, when we're on the on the on the floor playing. Yeah. And it was kind of a. We didn't know why we wanted to do that because we had the ability to just layer it and layer it and layer it and make it better and make it better and make it big and make it huge and bring in all these people. But we didn't, and I'm glad we didn't because when we play live, people say you guys sound just like the record, and I go, oh, thank you very much. Yeah. You, you know, that seems that that seems to maybe have influenced Bob Rock and Bruce Forever because they kind of took that and they still did it. Like, if you watch um, the documentaries on Metallica or whatever, they were really confused by the whole situation that they were all supposed to be playing at the same time in the same room. They were like, why? Why yeah, are we doing this? Exactly. Well, that's what Bob Rock loved that about. He says, just play. You guys play, I'll record you, and it'll just be great. Don't worry about it. And that was, Bob, uh, you know, Bruce Fairburn also. he was His suggestion was not to overproduce us, which, you know, it's tough to make a decision like that. Just let it happen. Some bands, yeah. they need a lot of work. Our band, just the, all we really needed was to set up the microphones and let them go, which is, you know, different for everybody, but that's how it was for us. What was it like? Um, like, obviously, you guys went on to super success, and they went on to super success, but all of you at that time were basically lucky to be in, in Little Mountain, you know? Like, everyone else... Like they were cutting commercials during the day for advertising, and you guys were writing songs in a jam room. What was it like when you got into the studio? Did you feel that magic, that kind of that special feeling that happened, or was it just cutting a record? Well, you know what? That's a very good question. I've never been asked that question before. Um, we were nervous, to be honest with you. I, I had to really find my place. Uh, first off. Um, we record with headphones on, and generally we never, you know, when we play live, we never used to, we don't wear the headphones in the old days anyways. Yeah. Uh, so what we, you know, getting used to that was one thing. I had to be put behind a partition so that all the sounds from all the other instruments didn't get through my vocal mic. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of the vocals I did while we're recording, we just kept them. It's not like we had to redo all the vocals. A lot of them were kept just from doing the track. Wow. We'd record, yeah, we'd, we'd start getting the sound, and then we realized how good it sounds with all the great microphones and everything that we had set up. Because we're just recording our gear. It's not like we had special recording gear. What we did is we had special microphones to make it sound, you know, make it sound really good. Yeah, so the, the beauty, I think, with, with the producers and, and the engineers for Loverboy, like you said, was to let it happen simply. And I think they did take that on to some of their other bands and stuff, just record off the floor and leave it alone. Yeah, but did you feel that magic happening, or was it all nerves and like? I could tell. I could tell a few of the songs that gave me chills when I went. <laughs> this is going to be a big song. You, you can kind of tell after after you listen to it, and people are kind of twisting the knobs and making it sound good in the mix. And I went, "Oh my God, this is huge!" I I, I used, I'd walk out of the recording studio and I'd look up into the sky and go, "Oh my God, we're so lucky to be in here." We we felt really lucky to be there. That's great. Yeah, it, it's such an unassuming building too, because you walk out and there's just like it's industrial, really. Like it's just yeah, office buildings and stuff. The two hundred one West Seventh. I think you know what yeah. they just did. You know what they just did recently? What 
what's that? At the Little Mountain, they redid the Studio A with the whole uh, big room and everything, and they made it look exactly like it did in the in the seventies and eighties. Wow! Yeah, Garth and, did that. Yeah, they took it back to the way it used to be because they turned it into a rehearsal studio. So they went in the big room and they put up all kinds of cubicle rooms so people could practice. And that was just a way to run a business because there was a point when the recording studios weren't doing that well because everybody was just recording at home or whatever on their computers. So there was a lull. And then it became fashionable to go back in the studio and I'm glad they did. We did the, we actually let everybody put a concert together for them. We went down to the studio, we set up in the back and there's about 150 people in, in the room drinking wine and walking around. We had a little bit of mood lighting on and then we broke into, we played nine songs. It was, it was fantastic. That's crazy. What a, what a throwback. That must have been amazing. Yeah, it was really something. Like, I got shivers for sure. <laughs> Yeah, just to hear those acoustics again. I mean, that room was designed by John Vertasek, who is like one of the best studio designers in history. Rest yeah, you know all about it. You know John Vertasek and everything, huh? That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, I, was, I, don't know everybody you, knows I don't know if you know Boris Drasik or not. He owns Sonic Farm for a lot of Right, yeah. He trained, on, he trained under John. So that's how oh, I cool. learned about all of it, oh. yeah. And, well, and I was partly trained by Keith Stewart, who was your engineer on the second. So, yeah, he, he did some of our big record. I think he was an engineer on uh, on Get Lucky, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah. yeah. So he, he partly trained me. So I learned about all this history just from being in, in the recording business in Vancouver. And right. like Bruce, Bruce has always been from the U.S., so he doesn't know how big of a recording scene Vancouver was, per se. I mean, I saw all the records you know, coming out of there, you know, in the in the 80s, you know, in our prime time, all the great stuff that came out of it. But yeah, I don't know it for sure. Sorry, Bruce, if I'm taking all your time, you can take... take no, <laughs> dude, you're fine. You're totally fine. Um, so, uh, this is a two-part question, I guess. One, are you guys planning on doing any kind of uh, live stream or kind of... I guess you can't really tour at the moment. And two, what does a Loverboy show actually look like now? Because I imagine it's multi-generations, and that must feel pretty cool as well, right? You know what? We're noticing a lot of the summer concerts, the young people in their 20s come up, and they go out of their way to put a headband on or some red, something red. And you, know, just, and you can tell that they've gone to the Internet and they've watched all the videos and they've, they've learned all the songs. And it is a cool, it's a, there's a, a generation of people that are, are getting into it. And, you know, we kind of miss that in the fact that we can't tour right now. We had to cancel or, or postpone 80 shows last year. Wow. Oh, and, wow. And now we're chomping at the bit. Like I said, my bags are packed and by the front door, I'm ready to go. But we have to wait for this vaccine to kick in and for everybody to get healthy again. Yeah. Because, you know, who's going to want to go to a, a concert with 5,000 people breathing on breathing down on your neck? Yeah. You know, until, until the COVID thing gets, gets demolished. I can't even believe what we're going through. It's hard. I can't even believe I just said that. It's just so crazy, <laughs> right? Are you guys doing yeah, any it sort is of... crazy. Are you guys doing any sort of live stream or anything like that? Or you have any plans to do so something similar? I got to say to you, I don't think Loverboy is represented very well on live stream. And I'll tell you why. First off, a lot of us can't even be together because a couple of one of the guys lives in, in, uh, in uh, North Carolina. And some of our roadies are over in Toronto area and stuff. And it's right. like, we just can't get it together to be in the same room. 
And if you're not all together in the same room, plus we like to play in front of an audience, we feed off an audience. I think it would be disastrous to do a, a virtual thing for yeah. Loverboy. Loverboy is a high energy rock band, you know. Yeah, no, I get I've it. I've seen a few people do a few things, and you know what? It's okay if you want to just do it and do it for a charity and strum on a guitar. That's okay, but it's not really what we're all about. Right, and I've seen people doing it, and some of them are really, really done well, but I think you have to put a whole lot of effort and time into it to make it done well because the, the crappy ones don't really go over well, for me anyway. Does that make sense? I'm with you. Um <laughs> Some people are really good at like Springsteen, right? He can strum a guitar and sing a song and you go, wow, that was awesome. But for me, you know, I'm really not that guy. Right. I'm not the Springsteen kind of guy. I need to have an audience and I feed off them, they feed off me, we have a fun time together. There's lights and there's sound and it's, it's, it's like the excitement of life. And I don't really want to spoil it by coming out and just singing in my garage, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> so how have you been oh, 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 that, that's how I feel how have you been occupying oh. your time during this whole I guess it's almost a year now well uh, I'll tell you what I'm shooting the low 80s in my golf match <laughs> there you go nice <laughs> and uh, a bunch of the people that usually never see me all summer are saying hey you're around you want to golf so I ended up doing a little bit of boating a little bit of golfing which I hadn't been able to do for years because we tour so much yeah. that even though I got a nice little fishing boat it usually just sits there empty <laughs> you know and then I take it out a little bit before it snows kind of thing right. and then it's over <laughs> for the season you know that's like that's life living in the Pacific Northwest I mean today it's a beautiful day and nice and sunny and I, I got no complaints but, but I'm just saying in general I've been, I'm usually away all the time and I don't right. get a chance to do a lot of the fun things. So actually I've been taking care of having some fun things and That's good. Uh, and doing some fun things and hanging out with the family and you know, it, it's just, it's really been nice for me to be home, but you know, the joke's over. Yeah. Okay, I'm ready to go back. <laughs> time to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's some nice golf courses there though. So, you know, if you can't tour, at least you get to hit a ball around the field. So, yeah, yeah. Chris? So when I was prepared, when I was preparing for this interview, um, I came across the video for "Turn Me Loose," uh -huh. and it oh brought goodness. me it brought me back to the weirdest memory. This is a strange memory, but I was in West Edmonton Mall, and I was in the Mister Entertainment in West Edmonton Mall, and, and I always wanted this bass, so I, I would go in there just to play that bass for like ten minutes or whatever they'd let me play it for. <laughs> right. I couldn't afford to buy it, and I had heard "Turn Me Loose." And I learned it before I went in. I was like, oh, I'm playing this in in Mr. Entertainment. <laughs> and I'm wondering, like, how many people have you met, uh, like bass players in particular, that tell you about that, that particular riff? Well, you know what? When that riff hits, it's pretty cool. I played that riff so many times, Paul Dean said, if you play that one more time, I'm going to shove that guitar up your ass. <laughs> and I went, hold it. I went, hold it, Paul. I said, this could be a good song. And he went, yeah, but I don't, God damn, you play it all the time. You know, he was just almost mad at me, right? And, and then we turned it into a song. But first of all, I'd like to know a little more about Mr. Entertainment. I don't think the uh, listening public actually understands oh, what that sorry. is. Tell me, tell me a little Mr. bit about that. Mr. Entertainment was like a music store like Sweetwater or something that was in all of the malls in Canada. Ah, okay. So you, so you could go in and buy, like, keyboards or guitars or amps or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. So like a Sam Ash? Yeah. Yeah, like a Sam Ash. But it was way, but it was way smaller, right? I was just, so used to being in the States, I, I don't remember Mr. Entertainment, but I'm going <laughs> to wonder if it's still there in the West Edmonton Mall. <laughs> no, no, they went bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I would go in there and I would play that riff, and I would, I would pick up this PV bass that I just dreamed about, and right. I'd plug it into one of these big bass amps that had the course on it, and I would just... That riff would get so loud, I'd shake the walls, and the guy would come over. Turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. I think I'd like to meet you, sir. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty. It was pretty cool, man. And and it, it made me think about like if I'm having these memories of just from that one riff. Right. How how do you think your songs have affected people's kind of growth as they go through? Like like they're, you know how music kind of brings you back to certain times in your life or certain places you know you you must have had thousands of those things happen without you actually being aware that they were happening so do people come up to you a lot and tell you about those those memories or you know what I've heard so many stories in my life and a lot of the stuff is you know a song like Turn Me Loose it actually inspired people to break away from something that was really negative in their life and make changes which yeah. I, I often thought what a great thing I said I never really meant it to be that way but a lot of times a good song can be taken any way you want to you know people take every, they take everyone takes it differently and that's a, the beauty about music I guess because you can take it any way you want so Jeremy Lewis was written by me about something that I went through but a lot of people put it in their lives and they say, well, I finally told my boss to shut it. I got a better job out of the deal and I've never been happier, you know? And a lot of it started to turn me loose. And now that's a kind of a cool thing to hear from people. It's like, so like, I can't believe you're telling me this. We've And we've talked to a lot of people over the years, you can imagine. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be pretty cool when you make that connection with a fan though, right? Oh God, that's the best. That's really what it's all about it's for me. It's an inspiration is what it is. Yeah. Chris? Um, sorry, I was just looking at my notes here. Um, it says here that you guys still have the record for Juno Awards. Is this still true? Yes, sir. I'm proud to say. Wow. Nobody's come close to our seven Juno Awards in one night. Wow. Um, <laughs> six so, for the band and one for the producer. Wow. So, Bruce, the Juno Award is the equivalent of the Canadian Grammy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's still quite Which, a quite no. an accomplishment. Well, yeah, think about it. And we're very proud to be uh, members of the Canadian Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is also another big deal. Oh, my God, yeah. There's a lot of Canadian talent in that book, in that, uh, <clears throat> in that stage. Um, you know, because there's been a lot of bands from the Guess Who all the way up to, you know, BTO, all the way up to, uh, you know, Brian Adams, Neil oh, Young. Yeah. Don't forget Anne Murray, and we've got the Bare Naked Ladies, and, you know, Gowan. And Gowan now plays with, uh, who's Gowan play with? Sticks. Sticks. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, we Sticks talked to him. Sticks. We talked to him a few months ago. Very Gowan, great guy. Super guy. Yeah, we were only supposed to have 20 minutes with him, and he's like, no, no, I'll stay on, don't worry, he's got you, this is really funny, super nice guy. Yeah, it was great. 
I just think it's great to to, yeah. to talk to you because I know growing up, you know, I grew up in the just when MTV was I was in high school when MTV was just coming out, and and all these songs that Chris is referencing, "Turn Me Loose" and "Working for the Weekend" is. Uh, you know what I cut my teeth on, and I remember those videos. They played them incessantly on MTV. You guys were like right on the cusp of that, right? Uh huh. Exactly. Yep. We actually uh, MTV really changed our lives. To be honest with you, we were just a bunch of guys in the band, and then after MTV got three videos from us in the one in the first week they were open, they started playing us around the clock, twenty four hour music. Yeah. Channel. They needed. They needed to. So we, they played us all day long, all night long. We couldn't even go to the bloody store to get a newspaper anymore. It was like one of those kind of things. <laughs> yep, I remember uh, so that really clearly. It, no, it really changed everything. It changed everything for a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah. But I remember it like it was uh, yesterday. That's great. Yeah, people say that if their video hit MTV, suddenly their life was just turned upside down overnight. You know? Well, yeah, because, you know, if you remember back in the day, do you remember what any of the guys in 10CC looked like? Or Supertrap? No. Nope. You know, and you never did see any videos of Jethro Tull and all these bands, right? And all of a sudden, uh, you're in a video, and, and then there's another video, another video, and then people go, God, it looks like so, and we make them look like so much fun, right? So it's just, you're creating this thing, and it's like, uh, and it just starts to snowball. Yeah, there's another Canadian term, huh? Snowball. (laughs) (laughs) And now MTV doesn't Um, even play music anymore. Yeah, right. I know it's it's turned into a game show channel, right? (laughs) Yeah, there's that meme going around. MTV, forty years of being open. Thanks for the 10 years of music or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. That's funny. That's probably, it's, it's more, it's, it's actually very true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have too much else for you. I'm, I mean, it's just been a pleasure to speak with you. Um, do you guys still have that studio out in White Rock? Um, do you know what? Doug and I both live out in White Rock area. I live in Crescent yeah. Beach. Crescent Beach is kind of an area in White Rock. Yeah, he's got a home studio. I have a home studio. The studio that was owned by Doug Johnson, yeah, was a different Doug Johnson. Oh, or not? Yeah. Well, that's that's not how it was marketed. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's that crazy? crazy. And, yeah, I think in a in an in an auction he bought a or at a at a uh, charity event he bought a Loverboy album and he he kind of <laughs> I think he got you. He meant that go a long way, so let me just say that. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I never tracked there. I was just wondering if, if you still were there. Now, are you guys still recording? Like, like you obviously have a lot of downtime right now. Are you, are you working on new material? Well, I've got, I'm working on a new song right now that Paul and I are working on. I'm going to sing it in the next few days. I've just been kind of getting up for it. Nice. And... And uh, we put some new songs on our website, loverboyband.com, and we're just giving them away now because we feel that people don't have enough patience to listen to a, a whole album, so we might as well throw a, a single out every once in a while. And we're just giving it away, so it's no big deal. It's all yours. It's free all the time. Enjoy yourself. Knock yourself out. Wow. What a, what a, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm going to let you go here in a second. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm just wondering how you feel about tracking on digital compared to tape now. Uh, you know what? I sing into a microphone. <laughs> you know what I... 
You know what I mean? D- digital is pretty cool. I mean, you could do a lot of things with it. And I don't really notice the difference. Uh, I'm not an audiophile like, let's say, Paul Dean is, our guitar player. Yeah. He's an audiophile. He probably notices a difference. But the digital format is such a convenient way to record. I can sing here into my, basically, into my microphone, goes into my computer. I run it along the track. I can put any effect I want on it. It's just pretty amazing, really. Back in the old days, you needed to have $500,000 worth of effects sitting in this rack that was behind the, yep. the chairs and everybody says, well, run, patch that in. I need to have this and patch this in. Nowadays, if you know anything about recording, you just bring it up as a piece of little, little piece of, uh, I don't even can't remember what you call it, but you just turn it on. You need a little echo, <laughs> yeah. you turn it on, you change it, you turn it on. You don't have to have a, a $1,500 echo machine anymore. It's right. part of the deal. <laughs> yeah. and, or a $500,000 tape machine. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I remember, yeah. I remember when Paul was selling some of his stuff because he had a full-on uh, 48 channel uh, uh, studio with an SSL board and tape machines and nice. stuff like that. He decided not to do it anymore. We, every time I'd go up to his recording studio, we'd sit at the end on the table uh, working off a computer. <laughs> <laughs> of an SSL desk. Board. What, what is all that? He goes, I'm going to sell it. And anyway, he sold it for like pennies on the dollar, right? Wow. He, he couldn't basically, almost couldn't give the tape machine away. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I remember what it is. That's progress. It's like we don't ride, drive, hor- drive horses to work anymore, do we? No. You know? No. I remember when we closed Blue Wave, which was basically across the street from Little Mountain, and uh, we had to get rid of the tape machines. We couldn't give them away. We could not give them away. Yeah. Nobody they, wanted they, them. I remember Blue Wave. Yeah. 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 So. That was upstairs, uh, right? Yeah, second floor. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the studio. Basement was the machine room. Oh, Blue Lake was a beautiful, beautiful room. Beautiful room. Yeah. That was a good room. But, yes. Anyway. It's probably, a condo. it's probably a condo now, right? Yeah, everything's condo. It's some office. Yeah. If only the walls could talk. Yeah. I miss that room every day. Every day. Before that, before before that studio closed, I actually made sample libraries out of it, so I could keep the drum sounds out of the studio and, and have it forever. Yeah, yeah. So I remember taking uh, eighteen tapes, two inch tapes, over to Hypnosis Studios and having oh, them play the. T- they had to bake the tapes and, and then put everything on digital because the tapes. They don't last wherever they kind of start to disintegrate. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know that. So uh, we did that with the whole Loverboy collection too over the years. Oh, wow. All these tapes stored in this uh, storage area. And we realized somebody said if we don't do something with them like right now, we may never get to roll those tapes on the machine again. And you can only roll them once after you bake them. Oh, wow. So you just, yeah. yeah, record everything down to digital. So we've, we've got a pretty good library of digital of the the two-inch stuff on digital now. That's yeah, and that's the good part about digital because it sounds exactly like the two-inch tape sounds. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's there's no degradation. You're not running it off another tape. It sounds exactly like it sounds coming up. And it's all on a hard drive. It's just, you can put in the, you know, you can put about 100 of them in the back of your car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, instead of 100 pounds of tape, you have like a, uh, like a one-pound hard drive in it. And it's not even close to full. <laughs> Actually, so the digital thing, like you asked me earlier, I think it's kind of cool. I, I find it very easy to go from studio to studio. You, and like 
you could never before email tracks to a, a guy to, to put keyboards on them and then he emails them back and they sound fabulous. I mean, that, that's that's where it's turned into, and it's much. I think it's much better than it used to be. Yeah, I oh, agree. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I was in DC when all the stuff that yours go to Vancouver area, and they just send me stuff. I work on it. I send it back. Yeah, yeah. I, I stream it live back to them, and it's no issue. You know. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people are doing right now. I prefer to be in the yeah. studio with everybody recording, but you know that's the way I am. And even if we went in a studio, it would probably be recorded on a, on a digital computer yeah. type thing, running Absolutely. through some kind of a cool, cool mixing mixing board. But um, yeah, the day of tape is gone, and that's okay. It's over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's over. It's over. <laughs> Anyway, Mike, I told Tom I would only keep it 15, 20 minutes, so I appreciate you taking the time. Okay, boys, I really enjoyed talking to you. Let's talk again soon. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.